Right now I'm in the back of the bus on the way to, we just uh, passed through Turlock and Northern California. It's about nine o'clock at night, about the same time I do my uh, podcast before. And I'm not going to be too long on this one. I want to let some people get their sleep if they want to get their sleep, but kind of been weird. I grew up in uh, Yorba Linda and one of the things that um, that my family did a lot of was traveling the state. So we went f- from place to place and you know a lot of places. I mean we traveled the southwest region exten- extensively. So we ended up going to Las Vegas, Sequoia National Park, um, all these different places and everything all throughout the southwest uh, United States and everything. And um, we ended up going up to North California on quite a few occasions for various different reasons. So most of it, a lot of it would, would have to do with camping. We would go up to, my dad was a big camper, so we would go up to Sequoia National Park and go up there Sometimes uh, just on the fringes of California or of uh, Los Angeles, we'd go to Lake Kachuma or Big Bear or all these other places that were right around uh, the Los Angeles area. But one of the things I'm finding odd is distances that I remember when I was younger, you know, are so much, I don't know, it's just like the distances felt so much more or less distant. I don't know, it's hard to explain. But one thing I'm definitely realizing too is my geography when I was young. I definitely didn't have... I had something going on with my spatial awareness and everything back then. Because I remember Turlock and Stockton and all that stuff. I remember Stockton being in Los Angeles, and I remember, um, not Compton, but Stockton. And, uh, I remember, uh, your, what was it, um, oh, all these places, Sherlock and Fresno, and being about as far north as you possibly could get in, in California and everything. So as I'm passing through these places on the way to Sacramento, it's just like, I'm realizing how, how different I, I perceived the world back then and what's gone on since then. You know, about um, when it comes down to the way I, I see the world. Now, I myself, I've discussed the fact that I believe that I was blind when I was growing up, and to some degree that um, I learned to fake it based on any number of different factors, wanting to fit in and that kind of stuff, all the way to, you know, just basically not wanting to be labeled as a child with being disabled or something like that. But I think with that, what ended up happening was I ended up acquiring my own vision my own way of, uh, of looking at the world and estimating landmarks and that kind of stuff. But not only that, but also an estimation for time. 
you know, a different, um, a different measure of time. No, because time itself, you know, most of it's not necessarily, you know, unless you're listening to music and everything, it's based on, you know, visual references, analog clocks, digital watches, and that kind of stuff. And generally speaking, especially if you're, you know, like I was, may have been pretending, you know, to actually be, to have vision just so I can actually get by, um, how I survived, I don't know. You know, because so much of uh, the thing, the world required reading. I think by the time I started reading, that's when I started acquiring the vision. But I think there was a lot going on. I'm starting to realize that, you know, when it comes down to geography and landmarks and my overall vision, wasn't wasn't there in my extreme youth, you know, three, three years, four years, five years old. But uh, it came later, and with that, it came different than anybody else's. I think my mind simulated it. I think what I ended up doing was basically in the same way a computer might build digital digital reference of, you know, something. I actually, to some degree, simulated the outside world. I found a way to to give myself vision based on the description of objects, along with um, the what an object looks like all the way to, you know, what the, the colors and all that. All of it was described to me, so as a result, I think that's actually what gave me my visual references and let me see the world and uh, find a way to, to see it in ways that maybe I, I only, only I saw it. So I think that's, a, that's part of the reason that I ended up coming down to see that there was a different... Um, a different way of perceiving time and that kind of stuff and my my judge my gauge of distances in between locations uh not only that but where things were um was in a lot of cases extremely inaccurate you know just because all i'm left to figure out where things are aren't visual references but are actually physical references my feelings you know, my emotions, you know, that little, you know, turn and twist and everything that you feel when your body moves in a direction and the sum total of those don't necessarily make it that easy to actually determine where you are spatially. And I, I think that's actually where it, what ended up happening with me was my mind formed a, a map of the outside world based on, you know, what uh, what others told me about it, and that's how I ended up uh, teaching myself how to see. You know, I learned how to actually see the world. You know, uh, I wasn't given it from birth. I actually had to, had to learn. I had to figure out a way to see the world that I'm actually kind of convinced that most people don't see the same world I do, still, to this day. So... In any case, um, the reason I'm noting that is just uh, it's kind of weird as we're going up north and Turlock, our members, being on the border of California, and you know, our members spending a night there. I remember it being freezing fucking cold. In Fresno, I remember not being far away from that either. And while I remember the proximity of one to the other pretty well, um, the 
distance they, they were from the border um, was dramatically wrong. So it was just um, kind of odd like that. But in any case, I've often wondered about senses, you know, and a lot of, uh, you know, sensations I've had about physically seeing things that other people don't in some cases, and having out-of-body experiences and that kind of stuff. And this realization that, um, I don't know, maybe the whole time, the outside world has just uh, been nothing, nothing at all, what I'd been told it was. And maybe somebody recognized the fact that I was doing what I was doing, and they let me believe what I wanted to believe, and they gave a more vivid description of what it was than what it really was at the time. I'm suspecting that that may have been the case as well. I don't know. It's all kind of odd like that. But in any case, um, it's about 9.30, 10 o'clock, somewhere in there. And I'm just relaxed back here in the back of the bus trying to find a comfortable position, but unable to on a broken seat. Just not having an easy time, just uh, how many bus rides I had through Central America. It's so much. Oh, well, I'd be happy if I don't have to do this again. I was thinking to myself, why did they build bus bus seats so uncomfortably? And the same thing holds true for uh, for airplane seats too. Uh, on plane seats, of course, you can upgrade. You can get yourself the business class, but can't quite do the same thing with the bus seat. That's just kind of odd. But in any case, I um, I might pop in and out. I just want to mention some thoughts about um, location, locational awareness. Now, one of the other things I thought about, too, as I was leaving was um, the overall feeling. I've had this uh, sense when I go to places and everything that um, my mind and my body are, are trying to f- understand a, a place that I'm going to. And um, kind of like I'm pouring the the material, the matter foundation for a place as I go there. So when I'm there, that's actually what it feels like I'm doing. And the ground becomes solid the more, the longer I tend to stay at a place and everything. That's just a self-deprecating belief, but it is what it is. In any case, um, I'm wondering, you know, what's going to happen. You know, does the collective emotion of those people that I impacted and the lives that I touched while I was over there, you know, in Studio City and everything, does it actually come out and reflect in the media that I watch? You know, do I see a, a change in, in the media and does it, um, does it start showing a little bit more of a heart than, <coughs> than I'm, I'm used to? Do I see as much horror that's being offered in media, or does it uh, does it slightly influence it? Does it slightly change? Kind of curious about the whole collective implications of my presence, 
how collectively do I influence a, a location I'm at? And how how long does that stay? Does it remain indefinitely? Or does it clear up after a bit of time? I mean, the obvious suspicion is it clears up after time, but is that always the case? Anyways, I was me and uh, me and Bennett. We I ended up going into a Starbucks this morning at uh, 8:30, like I usually do, and surprised a couple people because they thought I had uh, left already. And I said, "Nope, waiting for Bennett." So he and I, we ended up taking off at about 10 o'clock, and we ended up going over to Denny's, and I bought him lunch and or breakfast lunch, and I got a kick out of his comment. He goes, "Why is it whenever you buy?" I always, uh, I always lose my appetite. I think he has a psychological hang-up. I almost do helping him, him uh, or buying him food. He doesn't mind doing things for me, but when it comes to back to reciprocation, just showing my appreciation, I think he definitely has a hang-up about it. But I thought I was cute. So anyways, um, I ended up giving a lot of people a, a hug on the way out today, and did the same thing with him and just can't be more appreciative to that guy. Hands down one of the most impacting and important people I've met over the last four and a half years. Stanley's the same way too. You know, he's uh, he's somebody else that's impacted me pretty uh, pretty strongly. Well, she had spent more time here and everything, but the short time that he was here, he certainly made a huge difference in my life. There's been quite a few like that. I never realized, you know, being on the receiving end of charity, I'd always been on the giving end of it, but I'd never received, you know, never really put myself out there to actually understand what it feels like to receive, and it's a, it's an extremely humbling experience, but it's also, it also makes me feel good, just as good if not better than giving sometimes. I always I found that odd. I know that, especially given my condition, things that were going on, that those that were helping me out genuinely knew who they were giving to and what I stood for and what I stand for. And uh, they know that I take care of myself and you know I try to do the right thing. I try to be a good guy and. You know, I try to try to help people out when I can, and try to be there, and all this other stuff and everything. And sure, I'm not perfect, but just um, when other people give, and to actually know, you know, to to not just see, but to feel, I can actually feel their emotions about their their sense of righteousness about what they're doing they feel good about it I can tell and that's that's just it's kind of weird it's made me more in tune with people's um, emotions and what what drives them and you know what they're thinking and how the thinking correlates to their emotions and everything it's something I didn't expect you know to say you know, you see, you see certain people that do it sh- sheerly based off the 
the whole marketing aspect of things. I'm not going to name names, but there's one guy in particular that, well, he has done good acts. In general, his motivations just aren't, you know, aren't real. You know, he's, he's disingenuous with it. Now, it's an act, though. And the way I look at any act is, if you act long enough doing something, ultimately that act becomes real. So I give him kudos for that, and I'm certainly still appreciative of, of his assistance that he's provided, and I'm not going to question it. But um, the authenticity behind it certainly isn't uh, isn't where it should be. And I don't know if he's he's capable of that right now. But given enough time, and I think the guy will turn around. He's certainly heading in the right direction and everything. He's got um, he's got a little maturing emotionally to mature, you know, to go through anyways. I can see that, but he still tries. That's the good thing about him. But um, in any case, um, yeah, I ended up going to the uh, facility a little bit earlier than I was supposed to, about 11:15, and. They were at lunch and kept me, you know, I ended up walking over to the Mini Mart and got some snacks and came back and finally ended up uh, taking, you know, coming in and the bus showed up right on time at 1 o'clock, so been on here ever since. And it's made probably so far about nine different stops along the way and uh, we haven't even reached a major transition, which is Sacramento, where I do the... Uh, you know, take my luggage from one one bus to the other just to, for the rest of the journey up to Portland and everything. But um, no, it's uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, seeing the family and looking forward to um, to hanging out. Hopefully, I'm not too beat up and tired and everything by the time I arrive. But I suspect I will be. Anyways, I might uh, drop in a couple more times, but uh, there's one thing that I have. Oh, I also had thought of too along the way. Off to the left-hand side of Bakersfield, when you uh, just get into the open area, I was noticing how the mountains appeared directly like they're digital, like they're straight out of a, a computer program and everything, while the right ones, they didn't. Now, one thing I'd noted before was um, that the world itself is, at least from my observational perspective and everything, in part analog and in part digital. And uh, I'm not just talking about you know TV screens and movie screens and that kind of stuff, and you know the sounds and everything we hear. I'm also talking about the physical structures that uh, surround us and everything. So. Um, Building 7 is a good, for instance, of uh, the World Trade Center. These structures aren't necessarily as solid and as, um, as strong as the real structures are. And in some cases, the resolution may not necessarily be as good. But because they're nearly as good as the real thing, it's and because of the fact that it's it's almost uh, you know it may not necessarily be a place that you're even going to go to or anything like that to test it out or anything 
it's uh, kind of interesting that I think most people just overlook it. So I'm actually wondering how much of, of reality, at least as I see it and everything, how much of it is digital at any given time? And how much of it is analog? You know, if I was to actually take an ATV and do the 30, 40 mile trip o across there and reach those mountains, would I actually cave through the mountain? Yeah, if you were to take a, a sledgehammer to the side of Building 7 before the uh, the planes hit uh, World, you know, Trade Center 1 Trade Center 2, would the entire building have collapsed? I'm wondering how many different things of reality are like that. Or you see things that the resolution isn't just, isn't quite there. You know, there, or there's something that looks odd about it. I think if, uh, if you really pay attention, you can actually notice these things on a regular basis. I mean, I certainly am. One of the weird things I've noticed is um, Universal City. So Universal Studios. The incline on that hill is not a huge incline. But if you look at it from, um, from Campo de Cuenca, it looks like it's going up at an incredible angle. Now, it's not an illusion. And I, I think it has something to do with the fact that there's something going on with matter and space and time right in that little area where it doesn't for other areas. I just, it's the weirdest thing. I mean, I've seen it and I've noticed it over and over again. And it's just, um, you know, the other hills that are all around, you don't see the same level of incline and everything. You know, but this one street in particular, for some reason, it just looks like the incline is freaking huge when it's really nothing. I mean, it's no, no more than, you know, 10% grade, maybe even less. So. I remember um, growing up in Redonda Beach, the uh, the place my mom, my grandpa and uh, grandma used to live. Main road going in looked the same way, had the same distinctive, odd, massive grade to it. And you go to it now, and that grade isn't there. You know, um, it's over time. It's actually, you know, looks like it's degraded it, or the, the grade has gone down. Well, back when I was young, I remember my, my mom and dad's car had a difficult time trying to get over that hill. Time and time again, they had a hard, rough time getting over that hill because of its incline was so dramatic and everything. So, but uh, you go take a look at it now, and while the rest of the scenery and everything, everything indicates and suggests that there's been absolutely no change or very little deviation over the last 50 years. But my memory, my recollection of that, that grade is certainly not one and the same as, as what I experienced. This goes back to the visual references too. What am I seeing? What am I experiencing? I mean, is this 
is this a deviation in space and time or is this a, a recent addition an alteration this is how the the alterations actually you know how I perceive them they appear a little bit more hills seem a little bit taller and insurmountable I don't know I don't see it that often but I remember seeing it with that mountain there and I remember now and see it in the universe all the time but um it's definitely going to have me paying attention more to, to scenery around and everything. And, uh, unfortunately, most of the time, you know, it's like I can't, you know, like that one mountain over outside of Bakersfield. It's 30 miles away. It's off the side. and There's no way I can really go touch it. A lot of times I actually have wondered, you know, what if I just draw a line, to, you know, through terrain? And I kept walking. Now, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that when I draw that line and I go through that terrain and everything for 90 miles, I'm going to see exactly what's on the map. You know, but what if I don't use a map? What if I actually just draw a line and I hike for 90 days in a straight line across rocky mountains and hills, just as straight a line as I possibly can? Sometimes I wonder, you know, there's a uh, movie called um, 13... 13th floor, I think is what it is, where a guy ends up walking and is, uh, goes down this road that he's not supposed to, and he ends up finding out that there's nothing but a digital construction out there, and he finds the literal end, you know, to his world. He's not supposed to find it and everything. I don't think that something like that dramatic is going to happen to me. I think what I would end up saying is probably you know, hills that would look like, you know, the ones that I saw in Redondo and everything, they might look a little bit more insurmountable, but, I don't know, I think it's interesting, you know, the possibilities. Anyways, it's dark now, and um, I tried playing a game for a little bit, but got queasy playing it. Ended up uh, losing the last round anyways, Pixel Junk's Monsters too. So, thought I'd document a little bit of this verbal, verbally. Anyways, um, if I add on to this, I'll uh, I'll just uh, piece it, splice, splice it together. So I'm not gonna say goodbye yet. And if I don't do goodbye, well, that's all. So tuning up. Something else I just thought of was um. I've noticed how the terrain looks all... All the cities have a tendency to blur, to blur together. Not just here, but also throughout the United States. I mean, I've seen at least, what, half a dozen Applebee's. And uh, it's not long that I'm against franchises or anything like that. But the one thing I've definitely noticed in my travels abroad have been kind of like a fractal pattern of how cities appear. You know, like you pretty much know what to expect and everything in most cities that you go to. And um, particularly when you get into the more rural community type areas and everything. Now, 
especially here in the United States and everything. It's weird how a lot of the cities look the same. It's, a, it's like there's a cookie cutter stamp saying, here's how to create a city. Must have Applebee's, must have police, fire department, all this other stuff and everything. And then from there, you know, there's very little terrain variation, you know, for these different cities. Each city just looks like it's laid out in a section and just basically built, you know, leveraging SimCity. They just went through and they zoned some things, you know, commercial, residential, and industrial, and at that point, um, the, the standard things got built, freeways got built, and, you know, it's just people populated the places. Wash, rinse, repeat, you know, a dozen, two dozen, a hundred, go across the United States a thousand times. Now, I'm not saying this is bad or good or anything like that, but if I was actually like commander-in-chief, you know, of planning for the entire country or something like that, the one thing I would certainly start doing, I would certainly start taking the time to, it's like we're going through the same friend. certainly take the time to start doing is uh, focusing on the culture of each city. Los Angeles has a pretty good culture. Universal Studios, the theme parks, and all that kind of stuff and everything. Just Las Vegas does as well. You know, so enhancing and Phoenix is doing a decent job with some of it and everything. I'm just wondering, is it just because I haven't observed the city enough to see that there's culture there? Or does it take to my act of observation to, know, to develop a belief in a culture for that city? I don't know, it's kind of hard. But one thing I can certainly say, though, is the architecture still appears the same throughout all of California. It's flat. As fuck. And that could use changed. You need some creativity out here for the, uh, for the architecture. Anyways. Just thought I'd mention that. Hello, hello, hello. Gotta adjust the microphone a little bit here. There we go. Are we good? Yeah, looks good. I am um, made it here to Seattle, or to Portland. I don't know why I had Seattle on the mind there. And everything's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm tired. Fucking tired. And uh, I'm also going to try to give some attention here as I'm playing my game. I'm catching up on Hearthstone right now. But I'm at my parents' house. I am in the in the family room, sleeping on the couch until we actually uh, find a better place to put me in everything. The house is currently, they're doing a renovation right now for the carpets and everything. So, in any case, um, no, it's, uh, the trip was, uh, was decent. I mean, can't really complain too much about it. It was quick, it was 
you know, relatively painless, and you know, it was just, uh, there was nothing that really happened. It ended up rolling in about 11.45 today um, to Portland, and uh, brother showed up shortly after that. He got stuck in construction shit that was going on in the downtown Portland area, and so we ended up going from there and just ended up coming back to um, to my mom mom's place and give her a big huge hug and I had a little bit of a cry in there too so and uh, just ended up chatting for a little bit and then we ended up going to go see my father he had just transitioned from the hospital today over to um, to a it's kind of like a a physical therapy nursing type place and everything where they do the recovery if, especially after something major's happened to somebody and um yeah we just uh ended up going to see him and talk to him for a while and got out of there at about five fifteen. and i ended up um we ended up going to little caesar's for pizza afterwards oh first we went to fat dave's that was uh that was our lunch before we ended up going over to see my father he was in transition we couldn't go see him immediately and then after that that's when we ended up taking off to go over to uh to go see my father but yeah we just uh fat dave's is like a philly cheesesteak we had that for lunch and then uh ended up going over to little caesar's and that was uh that was dinner a couple cheap pizzas and i haven't had them in years last since the last time i was here it was nice i mean i'll go so far to say it was pleasant you know, I'm really, really freaking tired, so I'm not going to be long tonight, but like I said, I was going to splice these together, so I've got a couple conversations from before that uh, I've got in there, and of course these new ones, and and as I'm trying to figure out my next move, I've also got a rocket fast internet connection, the fastest I've been on in literally six years. So I'm pretty happy with that. I can actually move things around and not have any delay in response and everything. It's kind of nice. But no, it's a um, pretty eventless day. I mean, got to catch up and see the family and just hang out and everything for a bit. And you know, just uh, chill out and everything. So I'll um, I'll be more vocal and everything later as I go on and uh, get situated here and feel more like uh like i've woken up and recovered and everything from the long trip and lack of sleep and all that stuff and everything but i just wanted to do a quick check-in at the end of this uh placing two things three things together and everything and say hey i made it in it's all good and yeah i'm here and uh we'll be situated and Go over to the food stamp office tomorrow and go sign up for for the benefits so I can get those in. and actually have a source of income and everything here. A little bit. I mean, it, it ain't much, but it is what it is, you know. And other than that, also hopefully not get my ass kicked playing games too much. So... Uh, what else? I can't really think of anything else. Kind of boring. That's what happens with a dead mind when you get too too little sleep. Can't think of much to talk about. It's all good, though. I'm back. So, anyways, I'm in Portland now. 
Thank you for listening as usual. And have a good night. Bye. But, oh, wait. There's more. Sorry, I was, like, really predisposed with playing the game and multitasking at the same time. My, um, my mom's in there sleeping and, uh, early. So she's had a long day as well. But, um, one thing I was thinking about while on this uh, trip was, um, artificial intelligence. Machine intelligence, most specifically. (coughs) Now, I, um... I had mentioned a couple podcasts ago that I suspect that I maybe was blind or something like that. I think that's one possibility. And uh, one of the things that I've I've really done a lot of in the last couple years is analyze the way that I think. You know, taking taking a, a look at how I how I process information, um, how a machine, you know, how to actually interpret that for a machine. You know, I wouldn't say a machine, but just basically how we do, how would I would interpret that for code, you know, to encode things like in C Sharp or Visual Basic or something like that. And um, one of the things I've I've realized that I've done, there's a couple things I've actually realized, but one primary thing I've realized is I, in a lot of cases, arrive to to come to a conclusion about an observation. Um, I come to a a fact, and in a lot of cases, I don't have the origin of of what actually created that fact to begin with, what created that information to begin with. So let's say say I have a specific instance, you know, of statistics. Um, I had a bitch of a time passing statistics, and and uh, I had an easier time with probability. You know, probability made more sense than statistics did. In statistics, um, I repeatedly had a problem that I've mentioned before in past podcasts where I had a difficult time discerning or trying to understand why is it this this thing called the standard deviation and a uh, the concept of what something is being called statistically significant where that comes from. Now, taking a look at this in isolation, if you're taking the stats class, um, they don't give you the, the background on it. Or at least they didn't for me. You know, they just basically presented me with the information, basically said, here it is. And uh, I, at this point, just had a bitch of a time trying to understand it. Why? What knee fuck makes something statistically significant? Just because the book says it? You know, I I got that I got kept getting to the point that I was just like this doesn't make logical sense, rational sense, and everything. So at that point, I actually started trying to understand. You know, what makes something statistically significant? You know, what what makes this um, what makes a fact a fact when you're not given background information about what led to the development and discovery of those facts to begin with? You know, another one is the um, the idea of um, a circle, you know, um, now I know, you know, that I can draw a circle, you know, I mean, that's something I've been able to do since I was in, in grade school, you know, but what made the imaginative leap from trigonometry and math, you know, to, um, to the, uh, you know, to the fundamentals of calculus, what, what created, what, what made that happen? It didn't, for years, this, this question plagued me. 
You know, why is it, you know, how is it you can go from basic algebra, algebra geometry, you know, the configuration of basically squares and, and rectangles and triangles and, you know, angles and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden you're introduced this concept called pi, an impossible number that just keeps on going and going and going like the energizer boundary. And on top of that, you also have something, you know, called, you know, called the circle. And this is the interesting thing for me. You cannot draw a perfect circle inside of a digital world. Now, you can do a close approximation of a perfect circle, but that's still a discrete approximation. It's not necessarily the real thing. So this, this continuously brought to me the concept of what, what created the concept of the circle to begin with. Well, I mean, neat me through simple observation of the circle, that's actually what made it possible, right? You know, but if you're actually trying to discover this down the path of mathematics and understand logically how math led from trigonometry to, to calculus, there's nothing, literally nothing out there that actually documents how this happened in, in, a, in a way that that makes sense. Now, you can read, you know, some of the various, you know, subtexts on this that actually discuss it and everything, you know, that are littered all, all around there about what created calculus to begin with. And it all sounds like hocus pocus. It doesn't sound like a concise story. You know, it just, it just doesn't make sense. So that's actually one thing I started realizing, you know, was um, as I'm taking this bus ride and everything, there are certain facts that I come to discover that in a lot of cases, I actually will leverage a form of machine learning in order to understand um, how a certain conclusion was arrived to. You know, so let's say you're presented with statistical evidence, you know, of something, you know, existing, this stand standard deviation or something like that. Or let's say the fact is a little bit more esoteric, you know, such as um, you're given a fact about you know, camel, you know, and ads that they had back in the 1950s that they ran that said basically 9 out of 10 doctors would say something like this. Well, you know, for me, one of the things that, that I've, I've been highly, highly, highly motivated by and interested in has been the human mind. What motivates us? What motivates others? Why do others do what they do? What makes it statistically significant? You know, um, what is the mindset of the individual or, or group that actually comes up with these ideas and concepts and everything? You know, and the cool thing is for for facts that basically stand in isolation that, that are commonly accepted and that kind of stuff, it really becomes kind of interesting when you start taking machine learning type concepts and apply that to your own exploration and research and you start figuring out that uh, that through these methods you can discover in an iterative basis and everything um, and and to some degree maybe even create the literal origin of things of facts that didn't that the origin did may not have just not existed prior to them 
So it's it's trippy, and this is actually what I discovered over over time was that uh, once you start asking questions, when you have a fact in isolation, once you start asking questions about where that fact comes from, about the mindset of those that actually came up with that fact, about the um, the reasons that actually motivated the creation of that fact, once you actually start the process of doing the research. You're, you'll very quickly find out that not everything actually has a an actual um, very uh, logical origin. You know, you'll you'll quickly realize, as I did, you know, that the origin itself is enigmatic at best. At worst, it almost seems conspiratorial. Until you start getting past that, you start understanding. Wait a second. This is a hint. It's an indicator. It's a suggester. It's a, it's a, it's a portrayal of how time works, of how information works, and about how information itself and the origin of certain things may have become impertinent, or may have gotten lost to time itself, or may never have even occurred. But what's important? is the fact, even though that fact in itself is stands in isolation, may not necessarily have an obvious heritage. The simple fact is that fact does stand. It doesn't always. You know, sometimes I find facts that I'm told that don't work for me. In a lot of cases, I'll just simply respond with, you know, prove it. There's a fact on the way here. I ended up saying a fact about, um, well, somebody else's perceived fact. Jesus, Jesus died for your sins. Okay, it's not an uncommon fact that you see all the fact portrayed by people that are Christian based and everything. That uh, that basically ends up saying that uh, you know, hey, it's perfectly okay for you to do anything and everything that you want to, because one man did two thousand years ago. It's an interesting fact. So what does that fact mean? And when I say fact, I, mean, I say that in the loosest sense of the term. You know, it's a, it's a potential belief pattern, a belief process and everything. You know, but um, what does it mean? Well, to me, accepting that fact can actually give me some really cool possibilities. I could become do anything I want to because somebody else ended up taking, you know, risking and, and taking the ultimate sacrifice in order to be able to provide for me to be able to do those things, right? That's one possibility. Well, um, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, using this to justify things, but I'm saying sometimes those facts actually present interesting opportunities, you know, from a psychological, mental perspective and everything, and you know, for me, it's just the type of thing that I just basically look at these things, and I, I've learned not to judge information, you know, that I get, you know, because of it. And potentially, this present new opportunities, you know, for me to enjoy life, to potentially boldly go where nobody has before, and become something I never even imagined possible, when, you know, 15, 20 plus years ago. Because I thought the facts that were presented to me or the limitation of what reality was. I thought the fictions that were put out there was where those lines had been drawn. And I thought that everything in between was simply 
you know, a transition from what's possible to what's not. I was wrong, thankfully. And, um, anyways, um, machine learning. The one interesting thing about machine learning, if you're not familiar with about the processes, is it tends to follow a straight path in order to be able to ascertain, to determine um, a solution. And when it arrives to a solution at that point, that it, it tends to stop processing at that point. So it, it can fail a shitload of times before it actually achieves a solution. Well, I'm actually at, you know, at the point where I'm actually starting to see all those failures concurrently, all the different possibilities. And it's interesting because as I'm driving, you know, down the road, I see a car, you know, swerve in front of the bus and I always used to have this, well, what if that car had hit us? Well, now I actually see it. You know, I actually see it hit the bus. I, you know, in my mind, of course, it's not happening in reality. Now I realize that these are all, all potential threads of existence. I'm seeing the alternate timelines that develop as a result of that car hitting. You know, I can predict out, you know, pretty reliably, you know, the fact of whether or not I might live or die and how much that's going to really affect my life once I actually recover from it and everything. Probably not a whole lot. <laughs> you know, I can see, you know, the potential screams on the people's faces and that kind of stuff of being broadsided by something and the frantic, you know, picking up and collection and that kind of stuff. That's the interesting thing for me is just now it becomes possible, you know, through just basically taking the concepts that are developed by machine learning and actually applying it to my own learning processes on an active basis. You know, so I can basically take a situation, more or less say, hey, here are all the different possibilities. And this is the interesting thing for me that I've learned. All possibilities are possible. I mean, you know, there's a likelihood, there's a probability you know, that something is going to happen. And this comes right back to statistics. But what separates out that which is probable from that which is statistically possible? And not only that, but what's within the range of deviation, what's most likely to occur? Well, it comes down to where does that stand, or does, uh, where do statistics get their information from? What makes something statistically possible, statistically relevant? And the answer that I learned in the end of all that is me. In the end, the information that I actually choose, you know, my focus, the goals I have and everything, um, I know that actually shapes the outcome. In a literal sense, it actually sends a butterfly effect out through our energy. It affects that driver. That driver doesn't hit the hit the vehicle, just because of the fact that I've already calculated out the probability, you know, and predicted the fact that this just isn't going to be a happy event for me, and I don't want it to happen. So that quickly, my mind basically sends a signal out that basically pushes them away, says that's not possible, it's not going to happen here. When I program a video game, like I'm going to be doing with this, or like I'm doing with this Stiletto Susie. I've got, you know, a personal goal of basically rewriting the, the, the way women think. In a literal sense. Altering the fundamental way that their minds function. So, from there, with this intention set in motion, it's going to alter the way that I program. 
It's going to alter the if statements that I make, the logical statements that I make. It's going to alter the way that I develop the game. And even if it only affects two people, three people, you know, in the end, who play it, the butterfly effects for this are, are, are enormous, and that can create a fucking storm. That can literally alter the foundation of reality itself. This isn't theory. This is just simply how the universe works. We all have with us, within us a capability to be able to, you know, to make massive changes. You know, to, in a literal sense, have more power than any president ever has. Than any dictator ever has. But that power comes at a price. You've seen the price I've paid to actually get to this point. And I'm just now learning how to do it. It's hard. It's not easy. And it le leads to a lot of self-doubt, you know, questions and that kind of stuff. You know, this whole question of free will versus what's right and what's wrong. And realizing that I'm defining a brand new set of rights, a brand new set of wrongs. <laughs> what was once wrong before will now become right. So as uh, as we were driving, you know, I'm looking out the window, and I'm just thinking about mixed models of thinking. You know, before when I processed something, when I looked at looked at the world, I just looked at something at face value. I mean, I can't remember the last time I actually looked at the world with what I consider wide open eyes, childlike naivety, and not really having any information to process things by or anything like that. You know, to reflect on, to gauge, and you know, experience to basically taint and alter the the end result of what's happening and everything. But I also realize that it's not that hard, you know, to take the observations that one makes over the way people might make decisions versus computers and the way they make decisions. And to actually overlay those models within our own mind to make decisions, and not only that, but also to to alter and, in a literal sense, shape shape everything we do. The choices that we make as individuals. I know that the choices I'm making are a direct result of what I set up for my, for my personal goals. You know, one is, re, is rewriting the way that women think, and number two is achieve... Q powers, and primarily teleportation. You know, the ability to be able to alter time, go visit other points in space and time and everything. I'm already seeing the lines and how it actually happens. I don't have all the lines dotted, though. I mean, they're dotted right now, but uh, they're not solid. I see ways, you know, that uh, that it's going to lead to that point. You know, eventually, you know, some people that are already listening to this thing are going to be the right people listening to the thing that are going to be really starting to get scared. Or they might gonna actually find value in it. Ultimately, it leads to, I don't know, Maybe a call up by my former employer.
maybe. <coughs> I don't know. What can be possible? What can happen? I mean, there are lots possible. I can think of literally thousands of different possibilities if I just sat here and started talking. Bill Gates can call me up. Warren Buffett can call me up. Um, Terrestrially, um, an extraterrestrially, I can have Vulcans actually pick up on this on this recent conversation. And if you want to stay within the realms of uh, nonfiction, you could have other countries which could be highly interested in capability to be able to understand the human mind and how to actually influence people remotely. You know, through sheer thought and through this, through the simple repetitive act of doing what you do on a regular basis and everything. me, I know this has value. It's just a matter of by the time it actually starts proving itself, the world will have fundamentally started to change so dramatically. That there's not going to be a whole lot the world can offer me that I'm not already going to know. It's going to be within the short-term realms of capability for me to be able to achieve. So I'm just hoping something happens before then. And I'm starting to see that a little bit. Dear friends sending me a new computer, a gaming computer and everything. All the specs I want on it and everything. So it's going to be able to help with my development. Another friend actually offered to build me a bunker type th type locker. Thank you, David, for that. Fortunately, I'm not going to need that. To be honest, what I do need is something I don't think most people are capable of providing, which is simple companionship. This is going to sound lame, but I miss being held... In particular, Jackie and Rachel being wanted by somebody I absolutely, positively find amazing. I don't see that coming anytime soon. And psychologically, I think that can certainly help me out. Help lose a little bit of the apathy. But that's not something I and most people can control. So by the time I actually start rewriting the mind, has it already affected the women? Is this why I'm at that point already? Weird nature of time. Anyways, I'm going to hang it up now. I'm going to finish my magic quest for this evening and uh, hop in the bath and call it a night early. But... Thank you for listening. I'm going to post this um, tomorrow morning. Good night.